life. It's yes. just unbelievable to me. I mean, for 30 years, they mm-hmm. sucked the life out of the land on the Black Mesa. Yeah, they really you know, have. They yeah. really have. And finally, it's been shut down. And I think the earth is feeling mm-hmm. a little bit of relief, I would hope. I also went to the powwow last weekend, and I got the names of a lot of folks to get on the phone and talk to them about Good. Um, people, skinadores, native and natural, body salves and ointments, healing salves. We're going to talk to those folks. Uh-huh. Are we done? Are we out of time? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, so, Mike. Well, I don't think Mike's here, so we have to apologize to Arwolf, who I Sorry, believe Arwolf. is going to be sitting in for uh, Mike's show, That's Pandora's me. Lunchbox. Pandora's face the music. Yes. All right. Say goodbye, Ollie. Well, we'll see you next week on Renegade Solutions. CBN 88.3. Remember, Earth Day's coming up. Every day's Earth Day. Mm-hmm. It's got to be now. It's got to be. See you next week. Okay, bye. Good evening and welcome to Pandora's Face. That's what we call, uh, that's what happens when for 90 minutes I come down here and I fill in for Mike Perini and his show is Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and the human condition. And then I continue through until 8 o'clock and from 7 to 8 it's Face the Music. And you put all that together and you have... Pandora's face. Tonight, I thought it'd be nice to read you a story about a pig and a human being and a whole bunch of truffles growing in the forest. This comes from the selected stories of Patricia Highsmith. Now, if you haven't heard of Patricia Highsmith, you may have heard of the uh, a groundbreaking lesbian novel came out in the 1950s called The Price of Salt, and that was written by Patricia Highsmith. She had to publish it in the pulp fiction market because her regular publisher would not agree to, uh, to bring out such a controversial book. The other uh, way that you might have know about Patricia Highsmith, and this is probably the most famous point of her entire biography is the fact that she wrote the book on which was based Alfred Hitchcock's movie Strangers on a Train. That's a story by Patricia Highsmith. Most of what she wrote is kind of disturbing and uh, very noir, as as they like to say. I've been reading a lot of Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett and watching a lot of Humphrey Bogart movies with Lindsay. And I was led to Patricia Highsmith specifically by studying Raymond Chandler. And so I went out and grabbed this book of the selected stories of Patricia Highsmith on the W.W. Norton and Company letterhead. And lo and behold, the whole first section of this collection comes under the heading of The Animal Lover's Book of Beastly Murder. And it just so happens that they give you about a dozen or so stories about animals who murder human beings who aren't nice to them. And I think that's kind of neat. 
So uh, rather than read you, uh, for example, The Bravest Rat in Venice, which ends with a, uh, a rat beginning to eat a baby, that's not very nice, and uh, rather than read you a, a depressing story about an elephant in a zoo or the, uh, the revenge of the camel or any of those, I thought I'd read you a nice story about a large pig in France and the human who thinks that he's only good for uh, taking out and finding truffles. This is called In the Dead of Truffle Season, and it's by Patricia Highsmith. This is my way of filling in for Mike Perini tonight on Pandora's Lunchbox. This is a show about food. The music here is by Paul Hindemith. I get it from a collection of uh, quote-unquote degenerate music banned by the Nazis, and anything that the Nazis didn't want to read or listen to I'm there. You know what I mean? So here's uh, the officially banned by the Nazis. This is Paul Hindemith, his music from Der Damen. Uh, That's the demon, yes. Samson, a large white pig in the prime of life, lived on a rambling old farm in the Lot region, not far from the grand old town of Kaur. Among the 15 or so other pigs on the farm was Samson's mother, Georgia, so named because of a song the farmer Emil had heard once on the television, but not Samson's grandmother, who had been hauled away kicking and squealing about a year ago, and not Samson's father either, who lived many kilometers away and arrived on a pickup car a few times a year for brief visits. There were also countless piglets, some from Samson's mother, some not, through whom Samson disdainfully waited if they were between him and a feed trough. Samson never bothered shoving even the adult pigs, In fact, because he was so big himself, he had merely to advance, and his way was clear. His white coat, somewhat thin and bristly on his sides, grew fine and silky on the back of his neck. Emil often squeezed Samson's neck with his rough fingers when boasting about Samson to another farmer. Then he would kick Samson gently in his larded ribs. Usually, Samson's back and sides bore a gray crust of sun-dried mud because he loved to loll in the mud of the unpaved farmyard court and in the thicker mud of the pig pen by the barn. Cool mud was pleasant in the southern summer when the sun came boiling down for weeks on end, making the pig pen and the courtyard steam. Samson had seen two summers. The greatest season of the year for Samson was the dead of winter, when he came into his own as a truffle hunter. Emil, and often his friend René, another farmer who sometimes took a pig, sometimes a dog with him, would stroll out with Samson on a rope lead of a Sunday morning and walk for nearly two kilometers to where some oak trees grew in a small forest. Lassie. 
Emil would say as they entered the forest's edge, speaking, however, in the dialect of the region. Samson, perhaps a little bit fatigued or annoyed by the long promenade, would take his time, even if he did happen to smell truffles at once on the base of a tree. An old belt of Emil's served as his collar, very little of its end hanging, so big was Samson's neck, and Samson could easily tug Emil in any direction he chose. Emil would laugh in anticipation and say something cheery to René or to himself if he were alone, and then pull from a pocket of his jacket the bottle of Armagnac he took along to keep the cold out. Now, the main reason that Samson took his time about disclosing any truffles was that he never got to eat any. He did get a morsel of cheese as a reward if he indicated a truffle spot, but cheese was not truffles, and Samson vaguely resented this. A wonk, said Samson, meaning absolutely nothing by it, wasting time as he sniffed at the foot of a tree which was not an appropriate tree in the first place. Emil knew this and gave Samson a kick and then blew on his free hand. His woolen gloves were full of holes and it was a damned freezing day. He threw down his galois and pulled the collar of his turtleneck sweater up over his mouth and nose. Then Samson's nostrils filled with the delicate, rare aroma of black truffles, and he paused, snorting. The hairs on his back rose a little with excitement. His feet, of their own accord, stomped, braced themselves, and his flat nose began to root at the ground. He drooled. Emil was already tugging at the pig. He looped the rope a few times around a tree some distance away and then attacked the spot cautiously with the fork he had been carrying. Ah, aha! There they were, a cluster of crinkly black fungus as wide as his hand. Emil put the truffles gently into the cloth knapsack that was swung over his shoulder. Such truffles were worth 130 new francs to leave in Cahors in the big on the big market days, which were every other Saturday, and Emil got just a trifle less where he usually sold them. Excuse me just a moment. Hi, I'm talking on the radio right now. Could you call back later? Thank you. Where was I? Emil got just a trifle less than he expected usually when he sold them at a Cahors delicacy shop, which in turn sold the truffles to a pâté manufacturer called Compagnie de la Reine d'Aquitaine. Emil could have got a bit more by selling direct to la Reine d'Aquitaine, but their plant was the other side of Cahors, making the trip more expensive because of the cost of petrol. Cahar, where Emil went every fortnight to buy animal feed and perhaps a tool replacement, was only 10 kilometers from his home. Emil found with his fingers a bit of gruyere in his knapsack and approached Samson with it. He tossed it on the ground in front of Samson, remembering Samson's teeth. Uh, Samson inhaled the cheese like a vacuum cleaner. He was ready for the next tree. The smell of truffles in the knapsack inspired him. 
They found two more good spots that morning before Emil decided to call it a day. They were hardly a kilometer from the Café de la Chasse on the edge of Emil's hometown, Casuac, and the bar café was on the way home. Emil stomped his feet a few times as he walked and tugged at Samson impatiently. Hey, fatso! Samson! Get a move on! Of course you're not in a hurry with all that lard on you. Emil kicked Samson on a back leg. Samson pretended indifference but condescended to trot for a few steps before he lapsed into his oddly dainty I'll-take-my-time gait. Why should he hurry? Why should he do everything to suit a meal? Also, Samson knew where they were heading, knew he'd have a long wait outside in the cold while Emil drank and talked with his friends. There was the cafe in view now, with a few dogs tied up outside of it. Samson's blood began to course a little faster. He could hold his own with a dog, and enjoyed doing so. Dogs thought they were so clever, so superior, but one lunge from Samson and they flinched and drew back as far as their leads permitted. Bonjour, Pierre! <laughs> Emile had encountered the first of his cronies outside the café. Pierre was tying up his dog and had made some risible remark about Emile's hog. Never mind, I've got nearly a leave of truffles today, Emile countered, exaggerating. The barks of more dogs sounded as Emile and Pierre went into the small cafe. Dogs were allowed in, but some dogs who might snarl at the others were always tied outside. One dog nipped playfully at Samson's tail, and Samson turned and charged in a leisurely way, not going far enough to make his rope taut, but the, ro- uh, the dog rolled over in his effort to escape. All three dogs barked, and to Samson it sounded derogatory, towards him. Samson regarded the dogs with a sullen and calm antipathy. Only his pinkish little eyes were quick, taking in all the dogs, daring them or any one of them to advance. The dogs smiled uneasily. At last, Samson collapsed by leaning back and letting his legs fold under him. He was in the sun and comfortable enough despite the cold air, but he was hungry again and therefore a bit annoyed. Emile had found René in the café drinking pastis at the bar. Emile meant to linger until there was just time to walk home and not annoy his wife, Ursule, who liked Sunday dinner to start not later than a quarter past noon. René wore high rubber boots. He'd been cleaning a drain of his cow barn, he said. He talked about the truffle hunting contest that was to take place in two weeks. Emile had not heard of it. Look, said René, pointing to a printed notice at the right of the door. La Compagnie de la Reine Aquitaine offered a first prize of a cuckoo clock plus a hundred francs a second prize of a transistor radio, one couldn't tell the size from the picture, a third prize of 50 francs to the finders of the most truffles on Sunday, January 27th. Judges' decisions to be final. Local newspaper and television coverage was promised and the town of Kaswak was to be the judge's base. I'm giving Lunash a rest this Sunday, maybe next, too, Rene said. That way she'll have time to work up a truffle appetite. 
Lenache was Renee's best truffling pig, a black and white female. Emile smiled a little slyly at his friend, as if to say, You know very well Samson's better than Lunage. Emile said, That should be amusing. Let's hope it's not raining. Or snowing. Another glass, I invite you. Rene put some money on the counter. Emile glanced at the clock on the wall and accepted. When he went out ten minutes later, he saw that Samson had chased the three tied-up dogs to the extremity of their leads and was pretending to strain at his rope, a sturdy rope, but Samson might have been able to break it with a good tug. Emile felt rather proud of Samson. This monster, he needs a muzzle, said a youngish man in muddy riding boots, a man Emile didn't recognize. He was patting one of the dogs in a reassuring way. Emile was ready to return a spate of argument. Hadn't the dog been annoying the pig first? But it crossed his mind that the young man might be a representative of La Reine d'Aquitaine come to look the scene over. Silence and a polite nod was best, Emile thought. Was one of the dogs bleeding a little on the hind leg? Emile didn't tarry to look more closely. He untied Samson and ambled off. After all, Emile was thinking, he'd had Samson's lower tusks sawed off three or four months ago. The tusks had started to grow higher than his snout. His upper tusks were still with him, but they were less dangerous because they curved inward. Samson, in a vaguer, though angrier way, was also thinking about his teeth at that moment. If he hadn't been mysteriously deprived of his rightful lower tusks long ago... He could have torn that dog up. One upward sweep of his nose under the dog's belly, which in fact Samson had given. Samson's breath steamed in the air. His four-toed feet, only the two middle toes on each foot touching the ground, bore him along as if his great bulk were light as a white balloon. Now Samson was leading like a thoroughbred dog straining at the leash. Emile, knowing Samson was angry, gave him serious and firm tugs. Emile's hand hurt, his arms were growing tired, and as soon as they neared the open gate of the farm's court, Emile gladly released the rope. Samson went trotting directly towards the pig pen where the food was. Emile opened the lower gate for him, followed Samson's galloping figure, and unbuckled the belt collar while Samson guzzled potato peelings. Oink, 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 woofed! Quonk. The other pigs and piglets fell back from Samson. Emile went into the kitchen. His wife was just setting a big platter of cold diced beets and carrots, sliced tomatoes and onions in the center of the table. Emile gave a greeting which included Ursule, their son Henri, and his wife Yvonne, and their little one Jean-Paul. Henri helped a bit on the farm, though he was a full-time worker in a car factory that made formica sheets. Henri was not fond of farm work, but it was cheaper for him and his family to live here than to take an apartment or buy a house just now. "'Good truffling?' asked Henri with a glance at the sack. Emile was just emptying the contents of the sack into a pan of cold water in the sink. "'Not bad,' said Emile. "'Eat,' Emile said, Ursul. "'I'll wash them later.' Emile sat down and began eating." He started to tell them about the truffle-hunting contest, then decided it might be bad luck to mention it. There were still two weeks in which to mention it, if he felt like it. 
Emil was imagining the cuckoo clock fixed on the wall in front of him, striking now about the quarter hour past twelve, and he would say a few words on the television, if it was true that there'd be television, and he'd have his picture in the local newspaper. The main reason Emil did not take Samson truffling the following weekend was that he did not want to diminish the amount of truffles in that particular forest. This forest was known as the Little Forest Down the Slope, and was owned by an old man who didn't even live on his land anymore, but in a nearby town. The old man had never objected to truffle hunting on his land, nor had the current caretakers who lived in the farmhouse nearly a kilometer away from the forest. So Samson had a leisurely fortnight of eating and of sleeping in the scoop of hard-packed hay in the pig shed, which was a lean-to against the main barn. On the big day, January 27th, Emile shaved. Then he made his way to the Café de la Chasse in his village, which was the meeting point. Here were René and eight or ten other men, all of whom Emile knew and nodded a greeting to. There were also a few boys and girls of the village come to watch. They were all laughing, smoking, pretending it was a silly game, but Emile knew that inside each man with a truffle dog, a truffle pig, was a determination to win first prize, and if not first, then second. Samson showed a desire to attack George's dog, Gaspar, and Emil had to tug at him and kick him. Just as Emil had suspected, the young man of two weeks ago, again in the riding boots, was master of ceremonies. He put on a smile and spoke to the group from the front steps of the café. Gentlemen of Kaswak, he began, then proceeded to announce the terms of the contest sponsored by La Renda Aquitaine, manufacturers of the best pâté aux truffes in all of France. Where's the television, a man asked, more to raise a laugh from his chums than to get an answer. The young man laughed, too. It'll be here when we all come back, a special crew from Toulouse, around 11.30. I know all of you want to get home soon after noon so as not to annoy your wives. More good-natured ha-has. It was a frosty day, sharpening everyone's edge. Just for formality, said the young man in riding boots, I'll take a look in your sacks to see that all's correct. He stepped down and did so, and every man showed a clean bag or sack except for apples and bits of cheese or meat which were to be rewards for their animals. One of the onlookers made a side bet, dogs against pigs. He had managed to find a pig man. Final petit rouge were downed and then they were off, straggling with dogs and pigs down the unpaved road, fanning off into favorite fields towards cherished trees. Emil and Samson, who was full of honks and oinks this morning, made for the little forest down the slope. He was not the only man to do so. Francois, with his black pig, was going there, too. Plenty of room for both of us, I think, said Francois pleasantly. This was true, and Emile agreed. He gave Samson a kick as they entered the forest, letting the cleats of his boot land solidly on Samson's backside, trying to convey that there was a greater urgency about the truffle hunting today. Samson turned irritably and made a feint at Emile's legs, but bent to his work and snuffled at the foot of a tree. Then he abandoned the tree. Francois, quite a distance away among the trees, was already digging with his fork. Emile saw. Emile gave Samson his head, and the pig lumbered on, nose to the ground. 
Wumph! Wumph! Umph! Samson had found a good cache, and he knew it. So did Emil. Emil tied Samson up and dug as fast as he could. The ground was harder than a fortnight ago. The aroma of truffles came stronger to Samson as Emil unearthed them. He strained at his rope, recoiled and charged forward again. There was a dull snap, and he was free. His leather collar had broken. Samson plunged his snout into the hollowed earth and began to eat with snorts of contentment. Son of a bitch! Merd! Emil gave Samson a mighty kick in his right ham. God damn the old belt! Emil had no choice but to waste precious minutes untying the rope from the tree and tying it again around the neck of Samson, who made every effort to evade him. That was to say, Samson rotated in a circle around the truffle hoard, keeping his muzzle on the same spot, eating. Emil got the rope tied and at once tugged and cursed with all his might. Francois's distant but loud laughter did not make Emil feel any more kindly towards Samson. Damn the beast, he'd eaten at least half of the find here. Emil kicked Samson where his testicles would have been if Emil had not had them removed at the same time as Samson's lower tusks. Samson retaliated by charging Emil at knee level. Emil fell forward over the rushing pig and barely had time to protect his face from the ground. The pain in his knees was agonizing. He was afraid for a few seconds that his legs had been broken. Then he heard Francois yelling with indignation. Samson was loose again and was invading Francois's place. Hey, Emil, you've got to be, you're going to be disqualified. Get this goddamn pig away from me. Get him or I'll shoot him. Now, Emile knew that Francois had no gun. Emile got to his feet carefully. His legs were not broken, but his eyes felt awful from the shock, and he knew he'd have a pair of prize shiners by tomorrow. Damn you, Samson! Get the hell out of the way! Emile yelled, trudging towards Francois and the two pigs. Francois was now whacking at Samson with a tree branch he'd found, and Emile couldn't blame Francois. A hell of a way to... Francois's words were lost. Emile had never been very chummy with Francois Malbert, and he knew Francois would try and disqualify him if he possibly could, mainly because Samson was an excellent truffler and presented a threat. This thought, however, concentrated Emile's anger all the more on Samson for the moment than on Francois. Emile pulled at Samson's rope, yanked it hard, and Francois came down at the same time with the branch on Samson's head, and the branch broke. Samson charged again, and Emil, suddenly nimble in desperation, looped the end of the rope a couple of times around a tree. Samson was jerked off his feet. No use digging any more here. That's not fair, Francois said, indicating his half-eaten truffle bed. Ah, oui, it's an accident, Emil retorted. But Francois was trudging away in the direction of the Café de la Chasse. Emil now had the little forest to himself. He set about gathering what was left of Francois's truffle find, but he was afraid he was going to be disqualified, and all because of Samson. Now get to work, you bastard, Emile said to Samson, and hit him on the rump with a short piece of the branch that had broken. Samson only stared at Emile, facing him, in case another blow was coming. Emile groped for a piece of cheese in his sack and tossed it on the ground as an act of appeasement, also to whet Samson's appetite, perhaps. Samson did look as angry as a pig could look. 
Samson snuffled up the cheese. Let's go, boy, Emil said. Samson got moving, but very slowly. He simply walked. He wasn't even sniffing the ground. Emil fancied that Samson's shoulders were hunched in anger and that he was ready to charge again, but that was absurd, he told himself. Emil pulled Samson towards a promising birch tree. Samson smelled the truffles in Emil's sack. His saliva was still running from the truffles he'd gobbled up from the hole in the ground. Samson turned with agility and pressed his nose against the sack at Emil's side. Samson had stood up a little on his hind legs, and his weight knocked Emil down. Samson poked his nose into the sack. What a blissful smell! He began to eat. There was cheese, too. Emil, on his feet now, jabbed at Samson with his fork, hard enough to break the skin in three places where the time tines sank. Get away, you bastard! Samson did leave the sack, but only to rush at Emil. Crack! He hit Emil's knees again. The man lay on the ground, trying to bring his fork into position for striking, and in a flash, Samson charged. Somehow, the pig's belly hit Emil in the face, or the point of his chin, and Emil was knocked half unconscious. He shook his head and made sure he still had a good grip on his fork. He suddenly realized that Samson could and might kill him if he didn't protect himself. Osakur, Emil yelled. Help! Emil brandished the fork at Samson, intending to scare the pig off while he got to his feet. Samson had no intention except to protect himself. He saw the fork as an enemy, a very clear challenge, and he blindly attacked it. The fork went askew and dropped as if limp. Samson's front hooves stood triumphant on Emil's abdomen. Samson snorted, and Emil gasped, but only a few times. The awful pink and damp nose of the pig was almost in Emile's face, and he recalled from childhood many pigs he had known, pigs who had seemed to him as gigantic as this Samson now crushing the breath out of him. Pigs, sows, piglets of all patterns and coloring seemed to combine and become this one monstrous Samson, who most certainly, Emile now knew it, was going to kill him, just by standing on him. The fork was out of reach. Emil flailed his arms with his last strength, but the pig wouldn't budge, and Emil could not gasp one breath of air. Not even an animal any longer, Emil thought, this pig, but an awful evil force in a most hideous form. Those tiny, stupid eyes and the grotesque flesh. Emil tried to call out and found that he couldn't make as much noise as a small bird. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3. It's a minute past seven. I am reading to you a short story by Patricia Highsmith. And now that Emil is dead, let's finish the story. The music is by Paul Hindemith. When the man became quiet, 
Samson stepped off his body and nuzzled him in the side to get at the truffle sack again. Samson was calming down a bit. He no longer held his breath or panted as he had done alternately for the last minutes, but began to breathe normally. The heavenly scent of truffles further soothed him. He snuffled 